Good morning to you. It's uh, good to be able to have a chat with you uh, this morning. And uh, as you know, Tom's said, we're continuing today in this new series on John's Gospel. And I'm going to uh, read for you the few verses that I've been entrusted with this morning. So we're still in John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Loving God, Lord, would you just, in these precious moments, and as we gather once again around your word, would you take away any sense of the routine and the mundane, but instead fill us with your spirit so that we might see with our hearts and our minds and hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I started to have a little look at that passage, immediately I got distracted. I got distracted because the first words are, the next day. So that means something was going on the previous day. Curiosity killed the cat, so I decided to have a little look at what was going on yesterday. And what we see there, and I'll just sort of bring you up to speed on that, if you don't mind, that John was baptizing people. They were coming from all over the place. Matthew's uh, gospel tells us that large crowds came from Galilee, from the Decapolis, these sort of 10 provincial towns, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan. They were all following him. So there's loads and loads of people there to be baptized. And among those crowds was a delegation from the Jewish leadership, the Jerusalem uh, leadership. And they had sent these priests, Levites, maybe a Pharisee or two. They've come to join in with these crowds to see what was going on. They wanted to meet with John the Baptist and actually find out who he was and report back because this was big news and they weren't comfortable with it. So they meet with John. Who are you, they say. I don't know if you feel the same as me. I sometimes think that the Bible leaves us a bit short 
on uh, conveying the passion of, and the emotion of the moment, sometimes even the anger, the aggression. And uh, maybe it wasn't quite like that when they said, who are you? I think, I suspect it was a bit more like, who on earth do you think you are? What's going on? What do you think gives you the right to be doing all this? Nobody's authorised you to do this. You're not a rabbi. You haven't been to Bible college. You haven't done an Alpha course even, or whatever the equivalent is of an Alpha course. Who do you think you are? You think you're the Messiah or something? That's what I think is going on. And John, he says, no. No, I'm not the Messiah. So they say, so what then? Do you think you're Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. The prophet? No. He's not given very much at all. You notice John is saying very little. And I think it's, we don't get to hear everything that's said that. We're only told the bare bones, really. But I think it's kind of a bit good cop, bad cop, because what then happens is one of them says, look, do us a favour. We've got to go back with something. We're going to look stupid if we go back with nothing. We would Tell us something. Tell us who you are. <coughs> he hasn't even told him his name yet, you'll have noticed. Not sure he ever gets to that point. And John quotes from Isaiah. And you know, many of you will know, that Isaiah is just this amazing book. And it is full of Jesus from the beginning to the end. It is just a book full of signposts with the name Jesus on it pointing forward. And, and you know, we've just celebrated Christmas and a lot of the, the words that we use at Christmas time, they come from Isaiah. You know, many of you, Isaiah 53, it's pinpoint accuracy, the way it describes the events of Jesus, uh, suffering, trial, death, burial, 700 years before those events actually happened. It's a massive book. And Isaiah says to this delegation, I'm in there. You can find me in Isaiah 40 and verse 3. He says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's me. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He still hasn't told him his name. And then he says to them, among you stands one that you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the one whose stra the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So he's saying this, this Messiah that they're all waiting for, this wonderful Messiah that, that fills the book of Isaiah and he says, I can't, I can't, I'm not worthy to undo his sandals. He, he's saying that he is lower than any servant in any household. It was the lowest servant of all that would be taking your shoes off and washing your feet. He says, I can't even do that. So he's saying, he stands among you. He's here in the crowds. You can imagine they're all craning at the next, looking around to see if they can see. In other words, what he's saying to them is, my job is simply to point people, all of you, to the one that you're waiting for. He is among you, he is here, he is the Messiah. And then, on the next day, 
verse 29, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant. This is the one I was telling you about. So who's he talking to? He's obviously talking to the crowds. He's talking to anybody that will listen. But I think he's talking to the delegation, even though it's the next day. We're not told that. But I think where where they are, where where John is baptising, again, we're told that quite accurately, east of the Jordan River, a place called Bethany. It's about 20 miles from Jerusalem. So that would be a 40-mile round trip if they're going to do it in one day and do all their interviewing, find out stuff. And especially when John says the Messiah is here. They can hardly go back to the the bosses at head office and say, yeah, tell them what's going on and apparently the Messiah was there, but we didn't hang around for that. Can you imagine that? So I think they're there the following day. And he says, this is the one I meant. And incidentally... Jesus wasn't there to be baptised, because that's already happened. You may have noticed that in, in, in the passage that we read together, um, where John talks about having seen uh, the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove coming down and settling on Jesus at his baptism. That must have been at least six weeks ago, because Jesus would have gone straight off into the wilderness to do battle with Satan, didn't he? Maybe, maybe he's just arrived back in the last couple of days just to check in. Uh, with John before he goes off into his his mission field. I, I just wanted to take a few minutes. So that's that's every bang up to date now. And I just want to look for a couple of minutes, few minutes, at this lovely, amazing verse. This claim that John makes on Jesus' behalf. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It kind of really... I think there's a requirement for me just to hover over this verse for these next few minutes, even though I'm probably not going to tell you anything you don't know already. But it's good to go through it again. So when John uses this expression, the lamb, everybody knows what he's talking about. They all understand that. Everybody's on the same page. Not just because they have their own scripture, they have the scrolls and they're taught all about what's gone on in the past. They know all about the Passover and they know all about stories like Abraham and Isaac and so on. But, but they know it because even in the days that they were living in, right there in Jesus' time, sacrificial, sacrificial lambs were, were part of the... Israelite spiritual economy. Sin offerings were, were, were a thing. They were regular, even then. Let me give you a, a, an illustration, if I can, of, a, of, a, of what might happen. So say a man steals from somebody. Say, say he defrauds his business partner or something. Leaves the guy with no money, his, his family are penniless, they're on the streets, they're destitute, they don't live in social services times. And this man, he, he, needs, he needs to get that sorted in his life. His family know that he's done it. Lots of people know that he, he, he's been naughty. <clears throat> he's got to sort himself out. He, he has an option. He can go to the temple. And he can either take with him 
a lamb or a goat. It's a lamb in this story. But anyway, so he takes a lamb or he gets to the temple and he buys one there. You can buy one there. And they are good. They are spotless. They are without blemish. That's the way they have to be. That's in Scripture. It's got to be without fault. So he takes this lamb and he goes in and he tells the priest that he's been, he confesses, as we've confessed this morning, confesses his sin. And there's a little bit of a ritual and he might put his hand on the little lamb's head and somehow or other his sin, all his transgressions are transferred into this little animal. And then, well, they go their separate ways, quite frankly. Um, and, and he goes off quite chipper, actually. He's quite happy. He's pleased because his sins are gone. He dances all the way home. I mean, he might have had a, he might have had a long journey because there's only one temple. You can't go to your local branch. There's only one temple. So if he lives the other side of Israel, he's got quite a trek to do. Uh, but he's happy. He's rejoicing. The lamb isn't as it goes but it was just a lamb it was just a defenseless little animal and it couldn't have made any difference to that man's sinful nature the lamb of God on the other hand would make the difference the lamb of God would go voluntarily to the cross he would become the sacrifice and he was the only one he was the only one that could do that. No animal could do that. No other person could do that. Jesus was without blemish. You'll remember, perhaps, Pilate, just probably moments before he sent him off to the cross, declaring to the crowd that he could find no fault in him. No blemish. The sin of not one person, but the whole world, transferred into his beaten body. The Lamb of God the lamb from God, the gift from God, our lamb, our lamb. So then the verse says, the lamb of God who takes away the sin. Uh, strange really, I find it strange, it says takes away. Because John there's two Johns in this story, aren't there? There's John the Baptist and there's John who's writing this story. So, so John the Baptist never actually knew anything about the cross. He wasn't there. He never lived to see the cross. The cross was three years away and Jesus would take upon himself the sin of the world. But John says that he takes away there three years before the cross. And then John, who's writing the story... When did he write the story? I think he wrote the story about 40 years after the cross. He was an old man when he wrote that. And he was there. He was there with Jesus' mother. He was the only one that had the fortitude to stand there and watch Jesus suffer. He remembers it well, the day that Jesus took away the sins of the world. Strange, isn't it, really? I mean, it might be nothing. But what it says to me is that in not case of he will do or he has done, he takes away. Whenever we pick it up, this, the Bible, and look at it, it is today's news. He takes away. Today, he takes away our sin on the 16th of January 2022. And he does because we're still sinning. 
That's why we had confession this morning, because we are still sinning. There's always something that we're doing. Maybe we're not A-list, we're not murderers, most of us are not murderers, but there are little things going on in our lives. Even us lot here, there's stuff going on, which is why we need to bring our sins. There's little bits of pride, little bits of ambition, even in here, somebody there, there's a grudge against somebody there, and it's been going on for ages. There's bitterness. There's the occasional white lie from us lot. It happens. We're unable, unwilling to forgive. We can be selfish. Gossip. Gossip's a particularly bad one. I think that's almost at the top of the little list, gossip. I have um, friends, don't see much of them now, but they are Jewish and we've had some amazing conversations because they are, they, they are as, as well into their faith as I am into mine. So we've, we've had some good discussions. And they say that we, you read about uh, a lot about gossip in Proverbs, but, but um, what, what they pointed out to me was that when you gossip, gossip these days isn't like that. I must tell you about so and so. It's not like that anymore. It's much more subtle than that. In fact, it can even come over as I'm being thoughtful, I'm caring for that person. But the gossip is there. And, 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 and what these friends of mine were pointing out to me was when I gossip, if I gossip, it, I, I'm, if there is an offence to that person who I'm talking about, it's damaging to him. It's also damaging to the person I'm talking to because I've drawn them into it. It's damaging to me because that's my own character that I'm assassinating because I'm a gossip. That's three. And it's damaging to God. It's a big deal. A little bit of gossip is a big, big deal. So we all, we all do sin. And this John, John, the other John, the John that wrote this gospel, you know that he, you may know he wrote letters as well. And in the first letter that he wrote towards the end of the Bible, he says this, to Christians he was saying this, to us lot. He was saying, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, as we have done, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Lamb of God who went to the cross 2,000 years ago is still forgiving us and still purifying us today. And marvellous, how wonderful is that? And one more little thing is this, because the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He could have said, he could have been forgiven for saying, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Israelites. It was their Messiah, after all. Nobody else, as far as I know, was particularly waiting for the Messiah to come. But it does become clear in Scripture, doesn't it, that God has opened up this offer to include the whole world, all people. Back in the, the Old Testament, for instance, Joel, God said through the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And Jesus, right at the end of his three years ministry, he's saying to his disciples, he's commissioning them, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Just as he's going to be ascended 
uh, into heaven. He says to the same disciples, you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So all people, all nations, to the ends of the earth. That's almost not just good news, that is great news, because we are now included. However, just one thing, and I'll finish with this. To be included, to, to have our shortcomings and our failings dealt with, we really need to know Jesus. We need to know him, and not just to know about him, but to know him, to believe in him, and to trust him. John the Baptist, the other John, when he's talking to this delegation, you may have noticed he says twice in just a couple of verses, I did not know him. Did you notice that? I didn't know him. He did, because they were distant relatives. What he meant, I'm sure, was that he didn't really know who this was. He knew he was Jesus, son of the carpenter, but he did not know back then that he was the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He only knew that a few weeks ago when the Holy Spirit settled on him. And it just may be that there are some uh, who are in here today and you're fairly new to church life. And you may know something of Jesus. You know about Jesus. You know quite a lot about the Christmas story. You know quite a lot about the, the Easter story and the cross. But you have yet to make it personal. You have yet to place your trust in him. To believe in him. John, who wrote this, and Tom mentioned it earlier he says a few pages on that whoever believes in him whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life too good to miss and our sins will be forgiven and if you are fairly new to church life can I, can I, I it may be a bit complicated complicated this all may be a little bit complex at times the whole thing actually you might come in and find it's all a bit overwhelming a bit daunting but John the Baptist has some good advice for you this morning and it's in that verse it's right at the beginning first word in verse 29 look he said look the Lamb of God that's good advice. This is, this is wonderful. And this, this, if you're new to this, it will come in very handy every day of your life. But first of all, you could just look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's what he was telling those people to do. Just look. Look at Jesus. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you might actually look at, at, at Jesus. Maybe in the quietness of your own little bit of space. Maybe here, maybe when... You get home, you can just look at Jesus in your mind's eye and decide that you do believe in him and that you do want to trust him. You might want to just say something. Even before you leave here, you might want to say something. I do believe he died for me. 
It's personal. You died for me. And I want you to take over my life. I want you to help me with some of the mess that I've made of things uh, in my life. You can do that silently. Nobody else needs to hear that. God will hear that. Jesus will hear that little prayer. And if you do make that decision to do that, and if it's a genuine thing and a sincere thing and you are looking to Jesus and you, and you absolutely mean it from your heart, then your life will change. If you do it today, your life will change today. That other great hero of the New Testament, Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, says anyone is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. So just look at Jesus and keep your eyes fixed on him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me just pray for a moment. Loving God, we want to thank you for Jesus at the moment, right now, Lord, because he is standing among us. The Jesus who fills our hearts, who forgives us, who gives us eternal life, who is the king of our life, a saviour, he stands among us. And Lord, just in these moments, we want to thank you for him and thank you through him. In Jesus' name, amen.